Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Leo Sabo, and on today's episode, I'm going to talk about tithing, and specifically why Christians don't tithe. Now, you should know from the beginning that I do believe in tithing. I believe it's something that we should practice. In fact, I believe it's a spiritual discipline, just like communion. Tithing, for me personally, has proven over and over again to be a significant part of my relationship with God, and also my commitment to God. I see tithing as an opportunity to engage with God every single time He increases me in some way in order to align myself with what I believe every Christian professes, which is lordship, that we are followers of Christ, and therefore, because we are followers of Christ, we are following in His path, in His ways, and we desire to please Him, our Master. I began tithing at about 24 years old. I had gotten married. Uh, my wife and I began to attend this church, and part of the membership class, I remember there was a statement included in our membership packet, and it read something like this. As a member of this church, you agree to support this ministry through your regular tithes and offerings. And honestly, I don't recall ever hearing of a very specific message on tithing. In fact, My church talked about giving, but I don't ever recall the word tithe being used and certainly never understood tithing as a principle or why I should do it and how I should do it. So it was interesting that I actually just accepted it and began to tithe. Now, I honestly didn't understand it at first. Tithe, I understood, meant a tenth. So I figured, okay, it's 10% of my net. Yes, I thought it was my net. It's whatever I had left over, obviously, after the government and everybody else took their piece. And that was my understanding. I had no formal training, no discipleship in this area, so I just started doing what I thought was right. And maybe for me, because I'm a logical person, that just made sense. I thought, well, a church has expenses to operate, and of course the pastor is full-time, so he doesn't have another job, and even if he did, it wouldn't be right for him to work two jobs just to be able to minister to me and to our family, so it made sense to me. Tithing is to support the church, to support the ministry, support the work that God wants to do through the church. And I also saw that as an example in Scripture, so it just made sense to me. But at first, tithing was simply an act of obedience. It wasn't until much later that I further, after I studied it some more, after I heard some teachings on it, that I understood its purpose and its meaning. And the most important part that I learned is that although God wants us to be obedient, He's actually more interested in our motivation. Because if our hearts are not in it, then God knows. And honestly, I believe he personally grieves over anyone that does something strictly out of obedience and not out of a desire to just express their love toward a loving God. Uh, Tithing is a test. You know, it's a test of our heart's commitment. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing for the right reason. It's an expression of gratitude and love toward a selfless and faithful God. So over the years, I've met many Christians who don't tithe. 
And I've noticed that there are two main reasons for this. And I want to share my thoughts on those. But first, let me be clear. It's not my job to convince you to tithe. Actually, it's no one's job, really, except the Holy Spirit. So I'm not telling you to tithe. Please don't take this as a commandment from Leo. Leo doesn't have such abilities or powers. But I am asking you to do one thing, and that's to study it, to pursue the knowledge of this thing called the tithe and giving. And then ask God for clarity. You know, the Holy Spirit's there to help you interpret and understand, to reveal the Scripture to you, so that you know that you know that you know what God is saying to you. And then do what He tells you. Be obedient. Be faithful to what He's asking you to do. So here's the two obstacles to tithing that I have noticed. Number one is a belief that you do not have enough. You know, we live in a world where needs and wants are misunderstood and actually misinterpreted. Uh, what we today call needs, not too many years ago, was barely imagined. Uh, we have an abundance in every area of our life. And this abundance in every area has caused us to become so acclimated to comfort that what once was considered extravagant for even the wealthy few is now normal to almost anybody. This lack of clearly defining needs has caused us to live above and beyond what we can actually afford. And there's other things that have influenced this, of course, like easy access to borrowing and a culture that embraces debt as just normal. But in the end, it all leads to one result, and that is making you feel like you never have enough. Have you been there? Do you remember 10 years ago how much money you made then, how much money you make now? Were you any less stressed out that time than you are now? I would say you're probably more stressed out now if you make more money. It's been proven that the more you manage, the more stressed you become. That the wealthier you become, the harder it is to manage it. And the more consequences are to the wrong decisions with money. But if you're constantly feeling like what you make is not enough to live on, then tithing seems, well, a bit crazy. And you ask yourself, how could I tithe? I mean, 10% of my income. How could I do that when I don't have enough to pay for what I need? Now, I've counseled many people over the years who were spending hundreds of dollars more than they were making every single month. And introducing to them the spiritual discipline of tithing was honestly a challenge. I would think to myself, you know, they're spending hundreds of dollars each month more than they make. They're in a negative, $700, $800, $1,200. If they begin tithing, they'll be that much more in the negative each month. Here's the truth. When doing the math in these situations, tithing justifies logic. The math just doesn't work. And it's hard to convince people. That's why so many people fail to do it. Their response is something like this. They say, you know what? I'd love to tithe, but I just can't. I can barely provide for my needs. So that's the number one obstacle to tithing for Christians, a belief that they do not have enough. Number two is a belief that what they possess is their own. When someone spends a significant part of their life studying and learning a trade or profession, then they get a job, then they work hard and begin to earn an income, it's natural for them to feel like what they make, hey, it's their own. They could do whatever they want with it. That seems natural and logical. I remember the day one of my daughters received her first paycheck. After examining the pay stub, she was shocked and actually quite offended that the government had taken taxes out of her salary without asking her, might I add, and this is a perfect example of what ownership mentality looks like. See, when you and I believe what we earn is ours, 
and we think we should be the ones who get to decide what we do with it, it's difficult if someone takes it or makes us feel like we should give it away. It feels like a violation. And perhaps that's why many people don't just disagree with tithing, but they strongly oppose it. Now, this ownership perspective, I can understand, especially for those that are ignorant towards scriptures who have not accepted the gospel. However, for those who confess Christ as Lord and have been enlightened by the scripture and believe that God owns everything, tithing should be easy to embrace. So why is it that so many Christians still oppose it? I believe it has everything to do with true repentance. Now hear me out. Repentance means that you begin to walk a different path. Imagine walking in one direction and turning around and walking the complete opposite way. That's repentance. When you and I come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I give you my life, and from now on I will live as you dictate, as you tell me, as you desire. I'm here to please you, not to please myself. I'm here to do your will, not to do my own. That's true repentance. And if we embrace our roles as followers of Christ and truly believe in Him, then anything He asks of us, we should be not just willing, we should be excited about doing. And I don't know any other place that shows us more of how committed we are to the Lord than how we manage our money and our willingness to part with it. So then what does true repentance look like? What examples do we have that shows us what needs to change in our lives in order to prove that this repentance is true and that the fruit of repentance uh, is this new life that Jesus has called us to live? And I want to show you in the scripture, in Luke chapter 3, the specific example of true repentance. And you are going to be very surprised to see what's involved in true repentance. In Luke 3, John the Baptist began preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you recall, John was baptizing people at the Jordan River, and people were coming to him. Crowds were coming out to be baptized by John. But here's the thing. They didn't get the welcome that they had hoped for. You would think that John would welcome everybody. Hey, everybody's trying to come and repent and accept this new covenant that Jesus was going to usher in. And you would think that someone like John would be willing to accept and just welcome everybody, but he doesn't do that. In fact, his response is shocking. John calls them a brood of vipers coming out to flee from the coming wrath. He warns them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance and not rely on their heritage, which was that they were children of Abraham. And therefore, they figured, hey, we're the chosen people. We're okay. We're in. And John's saying, no, you cannot rely on on your heritage. You have to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What I find fascinating is that John saw right through their lack of sincerity, and he called it out. Now, how did John do that? How did he know that they were not sincere? How would you know if they were not sincere? And what exactly was John accusing them of? Fortunately, the scripture gives us that insight. In Luke 3, verses 10 to 14, John begins to identify the people that he's speaking with the first group is the crowd, uh, just everyone that's there. And after accusing them that they were a brood of vipers and that they needed to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, they asked the question, what should we do then? And John answers, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Kind of interesting, isn't it? They ask, what should we do? 
in order to truly repent. And he points to giving things away. Clothes, food, share with those in need. The second group is the tax collectors. They came to be baptized and they asked, Teacher, what should we do? And John says, don't collect any more than you are required to. The tax collectors were notorious for exhorting more tax than they were required to by the Romans. And John calls them out and says, this is dishonest and it's not in keeping with true repentance. Again, it's a condition of the heart that expresses itself out in one of the most tangible ways, and that is how people handle money. Now, the third group is the soldiers. And the soldiers come and ask, and what should we do, John? And John replies, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. And then he adds, and be content with your pay. (laughs) I find that fascinating. How many people do you know that have complained about how much they're getting, how much their boss is paying, whether they got that raise or not? You see, we are constantly looking for more, and that's not always healthy. In fact, a lot of times it's unhealthy because it's always having to do with trying to become self-reliant and to not depend on anyone, including God. Every single one of John's instructions to them had to do with how they manage money and possessions and their attitude towards that. John tells them to share their abundance, to be honest, to collect no more than they require, to not exhort money, and to be content. John could have been speaking to any of us today. And today, much like in John's day, true repentance is seen by how one lives. How someone manages their money and possessions is a clearest indicator of their commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, if you and I believe that God owns everything, then that means he is the owner. He gets to dictate not only how much we have, but what we do with it. This was the test of true repentance in John's day, and it's still the best indicator of true repentance today. So, let me challenge you personally. Are you producing fruit in keeping with your repentance? Are you still hanging on to an ownership mentality? Or have you relinquished that right and taken on your role as a faithful steward? Well, I want to thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope it was helpful to you. And if it was, you can do us a couple of quick favors. One is to subscribe to our podcast so that you will benefit from future content. And second, that you would rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other app that you're using so that more people will find Stewardship Leader and benefit from its content. To learn more about CSN, attend one of our events, or learn how we can help your church to build and run a thriving stewardship ministry, visit us at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. I look forward to seeing you next time on Stewardship Leader.